the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. VoiceAmerica.com welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now here's the host and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Today we were talking about book publicity, and we have a book publicity specialist, a really, really great specialist who has a lot of years in the field of book publicity, and her name is Susan Weinstein, and she runs a public relations firm called Susan Weinstein Public Relations. Welcome, Susan. Hi. Glad to be here, Cindy. How are you doing? Really glad to have you. Thank you. You're so efficient. You remind me and send me all kinds of stuff so that I could make so you can make sure that I have all the information in front of me like a great publicist does. <laughs> well, it's better to be prepared. I was a Girl Scout. You were a Girl Scout, but you've also been a publicist for a very long time and you know the nature of the news business and you know that it's a really good idea to always over it's always better to give more information than less. Definitely. Plus, it helps other people pick up what you have and put it out there. And especially in this world of Googleization and everything is a link, so everything has become mucho redundant and repetitive, but still best to have it out there. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And if you actually have content, they may read it. It's really true. It's really true. I think that you (laughs) and I both come from... You know, sort of the old school of public relations, and I don't want to say old school because it means that we're old. I want to say that we're, we really know how to do business because I don't think that you could do press today not having, you know, this 20-year background of knowing how to do things not online. Exactly, because the truth is even services that are online have to be publicized offline. It's really true, and you can't really, you can't really publicize things Exactly. You can't publicize things only online. And a lot of the people in publicity today who are new in their 20s, they think that they could publicize things on a MySpace page, and they've done their jobs. Well, it's true. I remember doing the, the, actually one of the first, if not the first, online um, do-it-yourself tax services. And the way that they actually were able to get people to that site was to get the business magazines to write about the brand new innovation. But it had to be all the magazines, all the press that was not online. And it's still like that today. No, it's, uh, it, it's very true. That's a very good example. Well, where are you from, Susan? Where have you, where have you been born, raised, family background? <laughs> well, I'm originally from Philadelphia, a suburban area in Philadelphia. And I was raised and went to school there, and um, I've been, I lived, outside of living in San Francisco for a short period of time, I've been living in New York for, I guess it's about nine, the late 1970s, and that dates me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. We're just wise. We're wise. I'm very impressed by your background, though. I see that you've, you know, you began in public relations at Scribner. Yes, I was at Scribner, actually, and then went to Warner's. I came there because I was writing plays in Iowa, and I was doing publicity in their theater as part of my scholarship. So when I came to New York, they needed a writer at Warner's, and that I had been doing publicity assistant work at Scribner's, and then I went in as a writer for the whole department at Warner's and then gradually took over well, did many of the campaigns. It, it, was, it was really the great book company at the time. I remember having meetings with Warners when I was at Playboy Enterprises because they actually published a couple of books from some of Playboy's writers. Asa Baber, rest his soul, he's not with us anymore, at least in this planet. 
um, you know, he was the men's columnist for Playboy magazine, and Warner published a collection of, you know, his Dear Men column, which was, you know, highly read. (laughs) Remember that column. That was a fun column. It was a lot of fun. And so you were there for a very long time, and it takes a certain kind of person to be able to stay at a corporation like Warner for a long time. So you must be really good. Well, actually, yes, and in fact, I finally left and went out on my own after a period of time because the the nature of the take-no-prisoners take kind of PR, where you had to get publicity and wild publicity and things that people didn't think you could get, um, and then it came to a point where they were the kind of books that I didn't want to do anymore. I wanted to have more control over what I did, so that's frankly why I left. And then you went on your own. Right, I went on my own, and then I was much more picky about the kinds of things, and I very was very much interested in doing books that had content in them. In other words, books that didn't actually, were not detrimental to people, but actually were useful and good for people in the world. So I was very idealistic at the time, which is not the picture of the way people think of publicists. No, no, we're in a special <laughs> club. <laughs> We're really in a special club. (laughs) I like our club. We should definitely form a club for, you know, LinkedIn or something. So, you know, the idealistic publishers. (laughs) Well, exactly. In other words, I remember leaving on a book that had to do with um, extended orgasm, extended sexual orgasms. I don't know if you can say that on the air. No, of course. You could say anything on the air. We're internet radio. You could say curses. You could <laughs> well, go into X-rated programming. You could do whatever you want on that, the show and not be believed. That was my last project of Warner's because basically nobody wanted to know about this. No one was interested in how many a person could have, and I didn't really even want to put that out there in the media. I wanted to do something that wasn't like throwing trash around America. So basically that was why I got off of it, and then I started doing a different kind of book. I worked for a lot of university press books, and I broke a lot of books that were hard to do that were interesting. Um, things like the Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson, the relationship that was a legal brief. I remember and it that. actually yeah. changed everything in terms of that coming out. I remember that. Um, I don't think they could have written the John Adams movie without it. Right, right. Um, also, Noam Chomsky's book on world orders, which was extremely influential, that came out. Um, there were things like, there were a lot of fun, like um, Angels in America Part 2. I got that reviewed in the L.A. Times at a time where plays arbitrarily are just never reviewed as literature in all of America. Europe, they do it, but here they just do performance. And that was a breakthrough in terms of getting them to look at that category for the content of it. Um, so those are the kind of things that I had a great time doing because... Um, they were bra- there have been breakthrough books and things that had content, like the first disability rights handbook. Nobody was going to look at this. <laughs> oh, I, oh, wow, you know, you're right about that. But it sounds like you are very driven. You've chosen to be passionate about what you do. And I think from a publicity standpoint, if a public relations professional is passionate and really feels, you know, feels mm-hmm. the project, they're going to do anything they can to break down the barriers and make news writers who may have not covered that subject before write about that subject. Well, yeah. I mean, for us as professionals, the fun is to think out of the box and figure out a way to make a project work that's not the usual thing. And, I mean, I think that's harder and harder to do in the current media climate, but I think that can be kind of the fun of being a publicist. Yeah, it's well, that's where we can take our experience and apply you know, apply things that we've learned over, you know, the last, you know, 20 years or so 
and take take what we know and apply it to a new media environment. And I think that that really, it makes a publicist, it gives a publicist substance. Well, it does. And, you know, and one of the big things that people don't talk about much is that part of the whole Internet environment, and I'm a little bit of a Luddite, is that you you can end up with a lot of confusion, a kind of Tower of Babel with people just throwing material out there without being thoughtful, and it gets hard to actually focus on things that are are of value. And that's something I think publicists actually do that helps the free press. And people don't think of it that way, but we actually put ideas out there that are measured and thought through. Whether people want them or not, they're there. No, that's exactly right. But, you know, thankfully... Print reporters, and thankfully there still is print for now anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's um, You know, n- newspaper reporters and print reporters really, you know, magazine reporters really appreciate the research that publicists like you take the time to do because they're all frustrated like we are with, you know, getting little text messages saying, thank, thank you for agreeing to interview my client, LMAO. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and also the truth can be very can be very elusive in the viral age. For instance, like my son this morning told me that after nine eleven there were smoke clouds that were filled with the with the face of fate. Right? Now, I remember that. Thing, I remember this, that. <laughs> what? I said I remember this, that one. Uh huh. This was circulated all over the place. People saw films. They basically thought it was true because it was on the internet. And it's like the dark ages. We're running around yelling, oh, there's Satan's face in the clouds. Now, of course, has anyone ever thought that someone took it and maybe they, you know, altered the image? <laughs> no, it's really funny. You're right. We're going into the dark ages in terms of propaganda because there's a new window, and it's simply a new window. Content really should, you know, deep content really was always there, and now there's millions of windows that the content is being reproduced for. But, of course, people who don't know you know, um, history. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, aren't well-read, just think that because it's published, it's real. Well, exactly. And if they think it's been all over the world, then they think it's also got to be okay, because why would it be circulated? And, it, you know, it just reminds me of the time of the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> no, you're very, <laughs> you know, very right about that. Where people have the rumors that this happened, and therefore it did, and they would go out and they persecute whole levels of people. Uh, it's true. I don't know if you saw the movie um, Untraceable, but no, was, I'm no, not here to really publicize movies, but because we're talking about the dangers of viral marketing, it was really quite incredible taking you know viral terrorist marketing to a very deadly, you know, murderous kind of environment. Diane Lane starred in the movie. It was really very, very I frightening, sh- to your point. So it, don't have your kids watch it because it's very upsetting, um, but it really talks about, you know, the Satan viral marketing campaign, as you use as an example, in, you know, murderous proportion. It's really frightening. Very, very frightening. Uh, Exactly. And that's why I think books are even more important, especially for children at this time, because they are bombarded with these things. They're all doing homework online, and they all are seeing these things, and how do they understand them? How do they get a sense of ethics or what's true or what's not? Um, the whole act of reflection is what they get from reading, and it's a real challenge now for educators or anyone who has kids to figure out how to kind of reinforce the culture of thought. You know, I, I agree, and parents have to be 
so much more active. Parents and teachers have to be so much more active in a child's learning environment today and sort of have to be more more watchdogs. I mean, unfortunately, you can't allow a child to go online without the right kinds of blocks and security concerns, but also you can't depend on technology to do that for you. You have to be there with them and explain to them context when they're going online and doing research. I don't. I frankly don't think any child under the age of thirteen should be on YouTube without a parent somewhere around. Agreed entirely. <laughs> Agreed entirely. Because you never know what they're going to find. But listen, we have to take a quick commercial break. You'll find sure. you'll find that there'll be many of these, and the show goes very fast, as you know from prior experience with clients doing the show. So I'm going to take a break right now. I think that it's going to be a fun couple of segments coming up. Stay tuned. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, yachts, parties. At Rack and Roll Productions, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, book releases, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio. Rack and Roll Productions gets the job done whether it's an intimate party or a production with 2,000 people. In fact, you've probably seen and heard our work on the E! Channel, MTV, The Howard Stern Show, or in the pages of numerous newspapers and magazines. Now it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of Rack and Roll Productions. Visit us online at www.rackandrollentertainment. That's R A K N R O L L Entertainment.com. Or call 1 818 597 0700. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Did you do your homework today? Relationship Homework is a program about working with others in the home and in the workplace. Relationships with others are vital in getting work done. You'll learn guidance and reclaim the power to expand your capacity to take effective action in your relationships at home and at work. Each program will include a weekly homework assignment to take back and implement over the following week. Join host Udall DeOlio for Relationship Homework every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America. 
VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Cindy Rakowitz. We're back, we're back. We're talking about book public relations with the preeminent book public relations expert, Susan Weinstein. Welcome back, Sue. Good to have you. I hope you're having fun. Yes, definitely, and I was just thinking about what was fascinating about the media. Don't you find it, like, really just a fascinating thing? Um, the media in general? Yeah, yeah, the whole thing about what it is, this large kind of collective social consciousness that's out there. It know, is. It's, it's always, fasc- always fascinated me. I was a media studies major at Queens College City University of New York. <laughs> so you you understand what I'm talking about? Oh, the fact that this is a collective form of human thought, and like inventions or book ideas, five or six people come up with the same thing around the globe at the same time because it's there in the culture and it breaks through. Well, especially yeah. now because it really is at the same time because the internet allowed for it to be simultaneous, and that's really that's really unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. You know, you know, television sometimes, you know, it took a little while. To make the news, mm-hmm. which is still pretty immediate, but not as immediate as the Internet allows for it to be. Um, I mean, you it's kind of like McLuhan. I'm sure you, you studied McLuhan in, in school a bit about uh, that. News from nowhere. Marshall McLuhan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The whole notion that we are living in the global cottage, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hillary Clinton really thought she invented something new with the global village. But you know what? Marshall <laughs> McLuhan had it way before she did. But, of course, only publicity nerds like you and I would know that. <laughs> well, right, exactly. Or any of the media media majors out there in various colleges, right? The communication. I think nerds is a. By the way, I mean it's a compliment. Oh, I think, okay. I think to be a nerd today means you're intelligent. So there's no <laughs> negative connotations to that word when I say that we're nerds. It means that we're smart. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good thought. I mean, because I guess I always think of the media as like a large mouth that needs to be fed. And I think part of what what publicists do that's our best job is that we feed it with ideas, we feed it with imagination, and it can be for either good or evil. So we actually get to be kind of the magicians in a way, where we go out, we give it our stuff, and then it comes out as some kind of of form. Well, let me Um, ask you a question that's pertinent to that, particularly about media strategies and feeding the mm -hmm. big media massive monster is what do you think about things like blogs? I mean, because you take, you know, you're the kind of person that takes what you're putting out there very seriously. I'm sure that you covet the way that you formulate a press release when you're promoting a book, a project, Mm -hmm. a writer. And then, you know, the blogosphere is just full of people that are just putting nonsense out there. Doesn't it kind of take away from the credibility of good thinking and, you know, conventional thinking. What are your thoughts about that, Susan? Well, no, I was talking about before we're kind of a narcissistic tower of Babel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the way I feel about it. I mean, it's, my feeling is the blogosphere and the people who are blogging, some of them I feel are very responsible. Um, and it's interesting to kind of eavesdrop into their thought stream. I think that that's like a great thing. But I agree with you. The majority of them are just setting up confusion. They're setting up too much navel-gazing, and they don't have much to say. They take up a lot of time. Um, So, yes, and I also feel as a PR person, they make it a lot more difficult 
because there's now another level of resistance you need to go through and you need to deal with, and that is the blogs. So that if you can find blogs that are suitable to the subject you're dealing with and you can send them in and they actually get mentioned, then you're reaching a lot of people, and that's great. Then it's a very positive tool so that I have no problem with the responsible people out there. But I agree, it's an awful lot of space they take up. No, it really is. Well, we'll touch upon that a little bit more later. I want to talk to you, talked a little bit about the books you have publicized, but let's take one of your favorite books that you publicized and talk about your design of the campaign, because there's an art to that, and I would love very much for you to share that with our listeners. Okay. Um, let me think about something recently. Uh, all right. Um, Hmm, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was just trying to think all of a sudden of one that I had done that was that was fun. I did a very serious book recently. It was not so much fun, but it was very serious. Um, this was a book called I Little Slave. That was about a person who was held a actual bu- a bureaucrat in Laos during the communist. It's the first narrative of the secret jungle prisons in Laos, what actually happened there and what's still going on in Laos in terms of human rights, even though on the surface it appears they have reforms, it's still going on. And it's kind of, in a way, indicative of lots of what's happening in countries in Southeast Asia, like Myanmar, those kinds of places. And doing this book was extremely difficult. We had to design a campaign in an area that no one is interested in because the spotlight of the media was not on that particular part of the world. So that a lot of what I had to figure out was what was relevant in terms of human rights, um, how to make that relevant with what was going on with the political campaigns, and actually how to wedge in that material so that when the media spotlight swung back, as it did after all the hurricanes and all the other stuff and the Olympics in China, as it swung back, then you get a lot of interest in that topic. But I had to strategically place all the material and the information with everyone who would handle that particular area. So that basically it was figuring out the approach, why people should be interested in something that happened in the past, what does it mean for the future, and then basically figuring out which people would be interested in that, in what areas of radio and television, and then doing the placements and setting them up, and then following up and talking with the people for long periods of time until we actually were able to get the coverage, which recently occurred. Well, that's fantastic. It sounds like it was a tough topic, but Myanmar, you know, did at least open the world's eyes to Southeast Asia, a little bit. Um, I'm sure that when people think of Laos, they think of Vietnam, you know, mm-hmm. which exactly. goes back, you know, way back in history. You had a lot of you had a lot of opportunities to connect to the press, but I think you just explained it beautifully. You had to wait for the news pendulum to kind of reach its climax with the stuff that was in the news du jour, Tibet, well, China, I, you know. Yeah, I and think I, that was beautifully and I, said. And then come back, the pendulum had to swing back a little bit so that you could go into subtopics of which you zoom in on your clients. Well, and to give you another example, like a children's book that had a very unusual kind of approach, I had to go out of the box. There was a book on St. Francis of Assisi, and the book ordinarily was not something that people were going to cover. However, the author was Robert F. Kennedy, Jr., so it was something that people were interested in, but then they were saying it's still a children's book. However, St. Francis of Assisi, my strategy was to think that Francis of Assisi is basically a, an early ecologist and 
RFK Jr. stands for Ecology and River Watch. So therefore, I could call Good Morning of America, I could pitch it, St. Francis of Assisi, as a means of talking about the issues of ecology. And so that we were able to actually think out-of-the-box strategy for a children's book and do a major morning show to talk on a topic related. You were able to stretch ecology to green, of course. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I mean. And, uh, you know, so it was a beautiful thing, although you did have a writer that has, you know, a very well-known name. Right, exactly. And the thing is, though, the children's book was able to be on a morning show, which is not something that the publisher had had happen a lot. I would imagine so, not, but that's because you have great contacts. You probably know Patty Nager at Good Morning America. Yes, exactly. How did I know that? <laughs> Dear but, Patty, she's it, been... It was an interesting strategy you no, know, it's to a, get it's across a, what he wanted to talk about. No, it's a very interesting strategy, and you had to think. You had to break it up into steps. What's going to connect with the news? What's topical? And how do I make my client happy by putting him on Good Morning America, okay, and selling lots of children's books? Again, connecting to the news on a macro topic. Well, and the rest of the campaign was designed to use St. Francis as a vehicle. Now, I had no idea that St. Francis was an ecologist until I'm talking to you right now. So there's you know, news right Francis now. St. Francis is a CC with the birds and the, you know, the, the animals. He talked to the animals. He was, he was involved with nature. He cleaned the lepers. You know, the whole story. Well, I do. I remember, you know, I certainly remember parts of history books and parts of movies where people who, you know, you know, where he is walking around with birds and there's statues of him walking around with birds, but I never really, I, I thought that was more symbolic than actual. <laughs> Well, we don't, in the Bible, you don't know. You know? I mean, <laughs> I you know, I just do. I, you know, I remember there was a movie and, you know, somebody was possessed by St. Francis of Assisi. See, I know, like, all of the dark films. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, is that it was a patron saint of the family, which is, I think, why he wrote about it, why they did it. But, um, yeah, so that was kind of an idea of, like, a kid's book where you kind of, you kind of go out of the box. And it was lucky that he was a celebrity. But oh, absolutely. Well, that, that always different. helps. Who's the name? Who's the name? Who's the name? Who's the name? Always. Right. It's right. uh, part of what we do. It seems that you're drawn to a lot of books that have religious significance. Is that part of your passion? Have a lot of what? I'm religious sorry? significance. Religious? You know, St. Francis of Assisi, you know, um, there's, well, you, know, you know, Satan. I guess, and <laughs> I guess, well, I guess you're right. In other words, I've had a number of books. I remember doing the history of Christianity, but I've also had books that had to do with you know, atheism and Noam Chomsky. And I guess I've done an awful lot of different kinds of books. I mean, a lot of my categories have to do with service-oriented books also. In other words, The Girlfriend's Guide to Plastic Surgery. Now, that was a very useful book. People went, well, how could you do plastic surgery? And I said, but this book actually showed you what happens. You're gonna. You're not going in like at lunchtime to get a manicure. If you're going to have these nips and tucks, you're going to have to wear girdles. You know, you're risking all kinds of stuff, and it showed you photographs of what happened. Um, it actually was a consumer's guide, but a real one on plastic surgery. So people were telling me, how could you, could you do serious topics, do this? And I said, I like books that are practical and serviceable, too. Oh, it's very practical, and it's dangerous when people go out and have plastic surgery and think about it as manicures. Listen, it's time for us to take another commercial break. This is fascinating. You know, you are really a great guest, Susan. You're doing a great job. Well, you're a great host, and I'm enjoying our topic here. Well, good. We have another half hour to go, so just breathe through it and stay tuned. Well, okay. I'm glad you're having fun, too. Okay, definitely.
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, yachts, parties, festivals. At Rack and Roll Productions, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, book releases, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio. Rack and Roll Productions gets the job done whether it's an intimate party or a production of 2,000 people. In fact, you've probably seen and heard our work on the E! Channel, MTV, The Howard Stern Show, or in the pages of numerous newspapers and magazines. Now it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of Rack and Roll Productions. Visit us online at www.rackandrollentertainment. That's R A K N R O L L Entertainment.com. Or call 1 818 597 0700. The ability to wield power, shape the environment and the outcome, and the desire to make things happen are essential characteristics of all great leaders. Explore the essence of leadership from an insider's point of view on Leadership Intuitions with Dr. Joseph Riggio, international coach, consultant, and advisor to leaders for over 20 years. Get the unvarnished, inside story on how leaders in the spotlight take the critical decisions that deliver exceptional, real-world results and why they sometimes spectacularly and publicly fail as well. Tune into Leadership Intuitions for a behind-the-scenes look at what gets great leaders up in the morning and what keeps them up at night. Go beyond the conventional advice about what great leaders are and what they do and learn how to create your own personal legacy as a leader. Leadership Intuitions with Dr. Joseph Riggio broadcasts each Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Leadership Intuitions, Power, Achievement, Relationships. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty's has just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Now back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. We're back with Susan Weinstein. Susan, do you have a website that you want to promote? Um, well, yeah, I can give my website, and I'll also give my office, my office number if people have questions. What a concept. Go ahead. Please feel <laughs> free to do so. <laughs> yeah, they can do it. The office number is 212-645-4969. And, and the web and address my, is? My web... Hello? Oh, we're here. Okay, and the web is com. 
Great, Susan. Thank you for giving us. Thank you for giving that to everybody. I hope that people are intrigued and want to ask you more questions. Yeah, yeah. And book PR is a is a pretty interesting thing to be doing in this area because it's all about the art of the pitch. Everything is about that right now. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about the art of the pitch? We talked about it a little bit before, but I know that that's you know a particular subject that you wanted to continue to emphasize. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, in other words, the pitch or the angle that interests the media in covering a particular book is not necessarily why the book will sell for advertising. They're basically, they can be completely different things. Um, to give you an example, I did a book, an exercise book called Calinetics, which was about, um, basically, it's a whole program, and the author had really hurt her body, was almost in a wheelchair, from trekking, and the whole thing was done to renovate her body. Now, the big deal about this book, why it sold, is that an 8-year-old's butt looked like a 30-year-old. And But the reason that it got written about was because of the fact that she had this whole story of rehabbing herself. And so that a lot of times the pitch has to do with what the producers at the time or the editors are interested in in covering, what's newsworthy. And that, indeed, it's completely different than why a book will sell. And I think a lot of people will come and think it's the same thing. And most of the time, it really isn't when you're dealing with books. No, no, not at all. It's interesting. What did you say, that an 80-year-old butt was like a 30-year-old butt? I kind of lost you on that one. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. The book called Calinetics, right? And when the author did, like, the Cleveland, the Cleveland Morning Show, what was really extraordinary was that people doing her system who were very, who were much older, like in their 80s, had their bottom looking like someone, you know, decades and decades younger. Now, what it actually did to a person's body was pretty amazing, but the reason why people would write about it or the reason why people had her on was for her other story. I got it. Okay. Well, then again, you found, you know, you found the topical angle, what was going to sell. Right. In other words, we have to take the temperature of the media with the pitch. What stories are out there? What are people interested in? And link it with our product, in this case a book. And if the pitch doesn't work because the times have changed or switched, we have to be able to switch the pitch in terms of how we're doing it. I've actually repitched books to national media that were turned down and then accepted on the whole the same product, the same book on a different pitch. You always have to rethink strategies. You know this, right? Go ahead, Susan. Yeah, we're here. Okay. Yeah, see, I'm sure you know this very well. No, it's uh, my whole life has been rethinking strategies. Um, You know, you have to be very, very fluid as, you know, a practical publicist and know that things are going to change very, very quickly in the media's perception, measure it, and change strategy. And you know what? People have to listen to you because people in other fields don't really understand the art of change and the art of things being liquid and the ability to think fast and change direction and make quick decisions in order to, you know, go with the sea change. I think that we are really great captains of ships and storms. Oh, definitely. And the thing is, is that a pitch how you go out with it, you know, that's kind of how you're sailing forward. It's going to have to change with the winds. You have a really good metaphor with that. And the strategy is different. The strategy that you're doing, the pitch can help it, but you kind of may be sticking with the same strategy. You're just approaching it different. And with books, 
you always have to figure out what's newsworthy about this book, what's new, what information about it is is really different, or if there isn't anything, what is it doing better, and how does it link with, how does it become newsworthy now? And that's really the major topic. So that if people are thinking about how they want to have their books publicized, they really should consider whether there is some link or what they think may work. I think it's very true. It's not as simple as it seems. And, you know, you probably spend a lot of time reading books, Susan. Well, yes, I do. <laughs> I mean, I'm, both I for your clients. And I have and... to confess, I'm not a TV person. My husband is, but I'm not. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, is it when you first get hired for a project, you have to read that book pretty actively. You're not just reading it in a relaxed way like most people get to read books. You have to read it very proactively. Well, you have to sometimes outline them. Like if there's a book that I did on the development of the human mind, how it unfolds. Now, if I'm going to have to summarize a 300-page book in a page and a half and have all the medical information correct, sure, <laughs> I'm going to have to read it, outline it, comprehend it, and use a Q&A so that an average person, an average producer in two pages will get it. Well, thank God you like reading. Thank God you like being illiterate. <laughs> well, I don't think I could push other products. I remember being in advertising and for a little while, and I just couldn't. I had a hard time pushing other products because I believe in books. Oh, no, I think, that, I think that's fantastic. And we need people like you to read books and understand content rather than just, you know, just facade. I think it's fantastic. Well, we may be dinosaurs, though. People like me, I think, uh, I'm not sure how many are going to be around in another generation. I know. I agree <laughs> with you. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, a concept that I'm really not quite sure about, but I'd love your feedback and interpretation on it, and that is the online book. Because I don't know if an online book is really a book. I don't even know if audio books are really a book, but I would love to hear your point of view about it. Well, my point is my point of view on it. On, I mean, online books are books. I actually have few online books. I know them, and audio books are different. I mean, they're still books, but they're more performance. I mean, if you want to put labels and categories, I think an audio book is a very different experience than reading a book because they obviously can't read every word. You can't. They're forming the pictures in your head for you because they're interpreting them. That's the thing with, like, seeing a movie. Like, when I read Harry Potter before I saw the movie, in a way I enjoyed it more because I had my own pictures. <laughs> oh, my. Yes, no, it's really true. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is audiobooks are different. They're a different form. Um, and I think they're good depending on who does them, and there are a lot of people who can't read, who don't have a time or are stuck in traffic jams. I have no problem with them. And online books are still books. The thing is whether people can actually read them in that form. Um, I know a lot of people actually still would rather have them printed out. They don't really want to deal with them online. No, it's a, it's really a frightening concept to me, and you know I want to just ask your opinion about something because you know the book business really well. For example, you're an author, okay? It's always a challenge for an author to be published. You've worked with many of them. You know the steps. You probably know a lot of authors that have gone through the you know, experience of an option and then it didn't get published and, you know, all the heartache and work that goes into that with, you know, right. barely a payment. But then what publishers are saying today is, why don't you talk to my friend blah, 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 and he publishes online books. Or, you know, you could go to onlinepublishing.com and have your book published just like that, you know. And, you know, you could do a deal with, 
you know, um, an e-commerce company, and then you get a percentage of every time it's downloaded. I, does that seem real? Well, the problem with it is is that basically the publishers are investing in the Kindle. You know the Kindle, that thing? Yes. All right, so it's a viewer, so you can pack into like six, you can pack six books into that, and you can travel if you want to deal with looking at it on a screen. But for most, for publishers that are cutting their list, all this is about is cost-cutting for publishers. I hate to say it. I'm going to be unpopular for this. But it's a matter of convenience for them. They can't publish. They're publishing now far fewer books. All of them are doing far fewer books. So that they can send people online and have them do it that way, they're not going to be deluged with manuscripts. <laughs> I, no, I think it's true. I understand there's a there's an efficiency to it. Uh, you know, I totally understand that. But is it really a book? Well, the thing is, if it's published online and it's yours and it's copyrighted, I believe it's still a book. Is it a book in that you actually have distribution? That's the big problem. In other words, directing people there, I think, is a little bit misleading because they don't have distribution to bookstores. They're not going to be in any catalogs for the next 20 years if they keep them in print. Um, your book is not really published, I believe, unless you have a distributor in the real world. I mean, that's the way I look at it. I, but I think that's yeah. the way most conventional business people would look at it. You know, and I think it's really important. We have to, we have to build some kind of sacredness, for lack of a better word, for the published book that you could buy at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> well, exactly. And people still, this is part of the problem with them pushing the Kindle and this kind of thing, is that outside of business people who travel and would want to have six books in the screen, the majority of people still like the portable thing of a book. It's very, relatively cheap entertainment. You can carry it anywhere, and it lasts. <laughs> no, ex- no, exactly right. Well, this is, you know, magazine publishers feel the same way. It's, you know, p- magazine publishers want to believe that people are going to still want to buy a magazine, carry it with them on a plane, and not strain their eyes to look at it on an online environment. So it's a subject that we could talk about in our last segment, which is coming up. And, again, we're three segments down, and you're doing a heck of a job, and I think that people are really going to be calling you Susan Weinstein. (laughs) Well, we're having a good time. I am enjoying this. It's intellectual conversation, something that doesn't happen that often, right? (laughs) Well, in your show it does, right? I try to keep it that way. I try to make it into an academic forum (laughs) with a little bit of humor. Yeah, that's a great thing. We have ideas. Let's, uh, let's take one more commercial break, and we're all looking forward to coming back to our last segment with Susan Weinstein. Bye-bye. Okay, stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, yachts, parties. Festivals. At Rack and Roll Productions, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, book releases, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio. Rack and Roll Productions gets the job done whether it's an intimate party or a production with 2,000 people. In fact, you've probably seen and heard our work on the E! Channel, MTV, The Howard Stern Show, or in the pages of numerous newspapers and magazines. Now it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of Rack and Roll Productions. Visit us online at www.rackandrollentertainment. That's R A K N R O L L Entertainment.com. Or call 1 818 597 0700. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio. Rack and Roll Productions, we do it all. www.rakandrollentertainment.com. Wake up, world. This is it. It's time to feel re-energized with a new show featuring host Andrea with an I. Get ready for a wild ride of adventure. You'll venture into a realm of quirkiness and a bit of the unexpected. Andrea will prove to you that bliss is your birthright and it's easy, simple, and fun to be in bliss. Wake up, world. This is it. With your host, Andrea with an I. It's heard live every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America. Shift happens are you ready in a culture obsessed with the perfect body men women and especially teens are constantly battling with body image and overlooking the one true thing that could set them free breaking free with sarah maria is a timely talk radio show that will help you find a way to love your body and yourself just the way you are breaking free will empower you to unleash your potential and create the life of your dreams Tune in to Breaking Free with Sarah Maria every Thursday at noon on the East Coast, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America channel and start loving you for who you are. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now let's get back to more stars of PR. Here's your host and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. We're back, we're back, we're back with Susan Weinstein, and we're finishing up, and we're talking about books, and boy, does this woman know her books. You know your stuff about books. (laughs) I mean, you're, you're a fantastic publicist, but nobody knows books better than you know books, huh? Well, I don't know. There are a few that have been around this long. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true. We're talking a lot about um, the evolution of media. We're talking a lot about, you know, windows and media and what makes a book a book and what makes it not a book. I mean, in publishing company, magazine publishing companies, you know, there are people that were hired and the smart publishing companies probably about 20 years ago, to business people who can decipher and, you know, come up with a strategic plan in how to best utilize online strategies in, you know, promoting magazines, which, you know, that's, that's my area of expertise, um, promoting magazines at a time when people are going to be using online as their primary source for information. And one of the people who, you know, were on that committee of great minds about 20 years ago for the publishing companies that were smart enough to hire these people 
all said the same things. You cannot replace a magazine with a magazine version online. Um, you know, what has to be done is an online version of the magazine that will whet the appetites, use it as a promotional vehicle, whet the appetites of magazine readers and, um, you know, get them to read about what's going on in a publication online but still get them to buy the publications. Right. You know, so, I mean, everything had to be thought out, really. Publishers, I don't think, have done as well with this. Book publishers. Yeah. No, I don't think that they had, you know, I don't think that they really went, they they weren't with their magazine sisters and brothers at the table when these kinds of decisions had to be made. And I have to tell you, Susan, that very, very few magazines did it as well. The ones that did it are the ones that are still doing well. I mean, Playboy magazine did it, and their online strategies and their print strategies really complement each other. You know, long-term online electronic, you know, electronic publication replacing the magazine, which they didn't really think that they had to replace for the next 20 to, you know, 20 to 40 years. You know what I mean? It's a gradual, gradual strategy, um, taking down costs of the actual, you know, taking down costs of print publishing in the long term, taking down costs of postage and print in the long term, but nothing immediate. Those are the magazines that are still you know, you know, existing and doing well. Um, Crane's Communications, Advertising Age, did the same thing. They had Scott Donatin, who was brilliant. He's now the publisher of Entertainment Weekly. You know, really sitting at the table with people and trying to figure out what to do, and he was one of the pioneers in that, you know, in that field. So a lot of thinking, you know, publications that were ahead of the game, and again, I mean, you know, magazine publications, really had to think about this quite a long time ago, and I'm really not sure if book publishers did the same thing. And I think that you're reinforcing the fact that perhaps they weren't as proactive as, as they should have been. But they're doing, the children's book publishers have been much better at this. Um, like HarperCollins and Disney have amazing websites to promote their books, to promote their magazines. They have blogs. Um, I think that they've done and they've done a really good job, but they've been leaping into it, you know, fairly recently. The last five, you know, maybe five, ten years at the most. Yeah, right. No, I think that you're right. Um, probably then rather than later, and um, you're right. I think that children's book publishers did children's figure out how to do it. Children's young adult publishers, the YA the YA lines. Um, they're all linking to the uh, school to the school activities and to those websites. So that it's it's really amazing for me. Scholastic has an amazing system as well. Um, so they're really yeah, they're Scholastic the only but their thing to get kids to read. They they do the sample chapters. They also do blogs from people that have liked the books. They have online book clubs. Well, um, that's a smart strategy. Online strategies complementing offline strategies and exactly. offline strategies complementing online strategies. And, you know, there's a lot of thought that had to go into this process. It was like rewriting the Constitution. Yeah. No, you, you put it really well. And I think that the major publishers haven't been investing in the same way. Um, a lot of authors have. There are authors who have sold made their books bestsellers on their own blogs and that they've consciously set it up so that they work with those blogs, which is a full-time job, <laughs> to maintain them and update them. And I think publishers encourage the authors to do it on their own. And some of them are slowly 
starting to maintain their own blogs. Um, a number of the houses are doing that now where they have one person in charge of their blogs and one person in charge of the site. So I think they're coming into it now, but more authors are kind of doing it on their own. Yeah, no, I think that's probably true. I think that's right. Any, um, do you want to make any spe- speculation in terms of whether we're always going to see a printed book? Well, now this is something that I've thought a lot about. And I think the question is going to be whether there are going to be a next generation who are real readers. In other words, children today are, books are the entertainment stepchild. (laughs) I mean, you've got electronic stimulation that's very addictive, and children are basically choosing TVs, DVDs, videos, games, Wii's, and they're finding it hard to slow down, focus, and read a book. And with the parents being plugged in, it's, the whole notion of reflection as a habit and as an art form is something that will lead to the extinction of books unless parents really start doing this also. So for myself, I feel that we're at kind of a crucial point in time um, in terms of doing this. Many of the schools in some ways are kind of, yes, they have their book list, but homework is done online. There are no encyclopedias, and sometimes kids can substitute kind of movies for books Some public schools actually let them do this. (laughs) So I guess what I'm saying is it's going to have to do with um, parents. It's going to have to do with kids because if it keeps up with this trend, as they get older, they're not going to be readers. They're not going to buy books. They're going to be doing quick, easy reading as a supplement to whatever media they're watching. I hope that educators realize that they better make people continue to read books because quick fix information isn't always the right kind of information. It's very alarming to me. Well, it's like Wikipedia, the encyclopedia. Now, that thing does not have necessarily um, information coming from scholars. Anybody can submit to that. And there are kids doing reports based just on Wikipedia. No, that's really, it's very scary. You're exactly right. You could be a, a moron writing a definition for something that isn't even accurate, and because Wikipedia claims that they don't have, you know, that they're not necessarily authorizing or credentialing anybody mm-hmm. that writes a meaning or a definition, you could be regurgitating information that's completely wrong. <laughs> well, plus, they don't know how to do research offline. They don't know how to go to libraries and go to stacks and compare, and they don't have the attention span to actually do this. So that, to me, is the real crucial thing. So I feel, personally, now I might be kind of dramatic, that we're at a turning point historically, that we either go into a dark ages of information and ignorance, information that really promotes ignorance. (laughs) No, I don't think you're being dramatic at all, sister. I think I'm right there with you. And I think that people like us have to do something and I'm sure you do because you're in touch with educators to make people realize that people have to do research offline because you're going to have moron mentalities. Well, and the thing is, is that unless people read and reflect, you're going to have problems with ethics. Honesty, we now are rife with scams and with all kinds of stuff going on that are criminal activity that we have never had to this level before. What kind of society are you having? Personal responsibility, all the virtues of a civic society are really, I feel, under siege because there is no, there are, the standards and order are all basically eroding. And I actually feel that part of this has to do with the culture of literacy. 
It's very well said. And guess what? We have to wrap up. So you're going to have to come on the show again, and we're going to have to have (laughs) philosophical conversations about the culture and revitalizing it, if you will. I thank you so much for your time, Sue. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this. You you are a fantastic source of information, and viva la book. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you very much for the opportunity here. All right. Take care and have a great day. Bye-bye. 